Amen. I'm glad that we have a faithful God. So look at Luke chapter 3 this morning. I'm going to go ahead and stand as soon as you find that. Luke chapter 3, continuing our series, This is Jesus. And we're going through the life of Jesus here in the book of Luke. Let's stand together. Luke chapter 3. Last week we finished up the second chapter of Luke. The first recorded words of Jesus that we find in Scripture. And as we think back on last week, uh, this last seven days, have you been about your father's business? Has that been a purpose of your heart? Have you been walking with Jesus or have you left him behind? I want to encourage you to think of that often. Think of that often. And there's so many moments where if we're not careful, we can take, uh, we can suppose that he's with us when all along we've left him somewhere behind. We need to make sure that we continue to look to him each and every day for strength, for help, for fellowship. Not just the relationship we have with him, but fellowship we can have because of that relationship. And today we're looking here at John the Baptist, the message of John. And our very first message from the book of Luke, a little over a month ago, we preached the announcement of John the Baptist. A couple weeks after that, the birth of John the Baptist. Thirty years have passed since those moments. And we look here at the beginning of Luke chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eturia, of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God, came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, we thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. And God, we are here before you this morning. Lord, I pray aware, God, of how good you are to us. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for this, this sweet group of people, Lord, that we have here at Southwest Baptist. And God, I pray that you would, would help us to lay any distractions aside at this moment. God, anything in our heart, Lord, we need to give to you. I pray right now, Lord, we'd all individually give those things over to you. God, so we can receive your word this morning as you intend us to receive it. Lord, speak to us. Help us, God. Lord, I need you today, and I pray that you'd strengthen me, enable me, fill me, Lord, so I can preach your word. Bless us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
may be seated. In order to set the stage of things going on in this day, Luke begins this chapter by mentioning several state leaders. And when we, get, when we began the book of Luke, we read of the leaders in that day, and 30 years later, the leaders are no better than they were at that point than they are right here, and they're no better now than they were at that point 30 years before. These leaders help us get a better understanding of the, the landscape of that day, and we see Tiberius Caesar, as it says there in verse 1, he was the stepson of Caesar Augustus, the one that we read about in Luke chapter 1. He was a harsh leader. All the ministry of Jesus and even the beginning of Paul's ministry happened under Tiberius Caesar. Then we see Pontius Pilate. That's a familiar name to us this morning. He was a military leader at this time in particular. He wasn't, didn't have a great relationship with the Jews. They didn't like some of the things he had done with the military and how it interfered with what they were trying to do. And then we see Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee, the son of Herod the Great. His father left Galilee to him and it was Herod Antipas who would later imprison John the Baptist for his preaching. And we see his brother Philip and another leader named Licinius. We see these political leaders, these pagan men, with no fear of God and no kindness or respect towards the people of God. And then he continues on, not only gives us the uh, political leaders, but we find the religious leaders of this day. We see Annas, he's the leader of the Sanhedrin, he was part of the religious ruling body. We see Caiaphas, the official high priest there at that time. And if we look throughout his history, through his story, what we know of him in the word of God, he was proven later to be a weak leader and one who would compromise with the Romans. So again, just like we had 30 years before this part of history, we have state leaders opposing the one true God and spiritual leaders consumed with tradition. The paganism wasn't just opposed to God. They hated God. And then the religious leaders, they were so focused on their legalism, their law, the expectations that they had of people that it drastically blinded them from the true worship that needed to be given to God and a relationship they needed to have with Him. And as we look at the few, first few verses here, there's, not, there's really not a name in it that is not infamous for, for wickedness or for not doing things the right way. And, and as we look at what's going on in this, this part of history, and as we look at the rulers being like they are, how do you think... Those rulers affected the people in that day. How do, you, how do you think that having wicked rulers like they did and having blinded religious leaders like they did affected the people there in those times? Now, as we think about what it might have done in, the, in that day and age, think about what it has done today. How do, you, what, how do you think the leaders of our world have affected the people of our world? We see moral decline. Look all over our country, all over our world, we think of things that were once um, stood against not too long ago are now welcomed today. We not only see a moral decline in our country, in our world, we see fear in so many people. And we understand that fear is not from God. What does the Bible say? For God has not given us the spirit of fear. Then as we look at how it's not only affected everyone in the world, but Christians in particular, we, we have many people that, that live with an apathy toward the things of God. There's not too much of a concern or a desire or a commitment to be the Christian that God would have us to be or to worship him as we need to worship him or to obey the things that he's commanded us to do, just to name a few things. But as you look here in Luke chapter 3 with a man like John the Baptist on the scene, every one of these people would have heard and been threatened by the work that he had. So we look here and we see, first of all, the work of John the Baptist. Look there at verse 2. 
It says, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. God gave John the Baptist his word directly. God didn't give his word to the leaders of that day. God didn't speak to the political leaders of that day. He, uh, he definitely didn't give it to the priest of that day or Annas or, or Caiaphas, but he gave it to a prophet in the desert. It didn't go to the more qualified or the more intelligent, the more knowledgeable people, the more powerful in the region. It came to a man in the desert wearing the skin of camels, the long beard whose diet was locusts and wild honey. In the power and authority that we find as well as the, the content for his ministry, it came from God rather than human initiative. And as I look at this in application this morning, as your pastor, I'm, I'm not going to preach the words of Buddy Himes. If I, if I get up here and I start to preach the words of Buddy Himes, get me out of here. As, as the pastor of this church, I'm not going to call men to this pulpit who are just going to stand up here and, and give us their opinions or to entertain us with, 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 with stories or helping us to feel good. We're going to have people up here preaching the message of Almighty God. And it's my responsibility as a preacher of the Word of God not to give into the pressure that may come from what we can do or what we cannot do from this pulpit or not to preach what is tolerated or not to preach what is uh, not tolerated in our society, but what thus saith the Lord. That is our duty. And God chose to give this message to John the Baptist. If we look four chapters later, Luke chapter 7, we see that Jesus referred to John the Baptist as the greatest prophet in all of history. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse, verse 28. A couple of verses before that, he says, much more than a prophet. Verse 28, he says, for I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John was called by God for this particular day with this particular message. What was the message? Verse 3, and he came into all country about Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. His message was to tell the people to repent of their sin and seek forgiveness from God of their sin. And after they did that, he was there in the Jordan River baptizing them. And if we, and if we look at the, uh, where baptism began, baptism originally with the, with the Jews was a ritual for purification. And as John the Baptist was bringing these people in and baptizing them in this manner, it was unusual for them to be baptized after repentance. And we see this baptism was symbolizing the forgiveness they received through repentance. And baptism didn't bring forgiveness of sin. The baptism was symbolizing the decision they made. And this message was preached with the intent to get everyone ready for the Messiah. And this repentance prepared for the faith they would need to put in Jesus pretty soon. John preached repentance. I read, I read this week a preacher said, he said, we will never know our deliverance. Until we know our desperation without the deliverer. You will never know your deliverance until you know the desperation without the deliverer. Now, repentance of sin is something that is vital for any person that is serious about their relationship with God. We're going to get into this detail, more into this in just a few moments. But John's message was repent. That was his message. What was the purpose of his ministry? Look there, verse 4. 
As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, the rough ways shall be made smooth. Hold your place here in Luke, but look back at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Isaiah 40, verse 3. The ministry that John the Baptist had was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 40. There, verse 3, just what we read in, in, in Luke chapter 3, we find in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall be made straight, the rough places plain. Just as it was prophesied, it's happening. And there were two purposes in his ministry. What does it say you're supposed to be? A voice. It was first of all supposed to be a voice. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. This is the last Old Testament prophet. He's coming, as it says, in the manner of Elijah. And, and, and as we look at what John's duty was to do, our, our du- my duty this morning is to be up here being a voice, preaching not my message, as I've already said, but the message of Jesus. But I can tell you as well this morning, every one of us can be a voice. Every one of us can be a voice. You know, Paul wrote to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, When I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I didn't come to you in my own words. I didn't come to you in my own abilities and my own talents. I came to you declaring the message of God. And he said, My speech, my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The message that we have is not our own message, it is God's message. To bring people closer to him. You know, Oswald Smith said, he said, the world does not need sermons. It needs a message. You can go to seminary and learn how to preach sermons, but you will have to go to God to get messages. You know, John had been with God. And he had a message from God. Are you in a position this morning... To get God's message. Are you in a position this morning to be a voice for God? Are you living in a way this morning where you're able to, for God can use your life? Or are you in a position, are you prepared to to be used as his voice? You think about your voice in your family. We need husbands and wives, we need fathers and mothers to, to live according to the word of God and to be in a position in a relationship with God where they can be a voice to their family. You can be a voice to your spouse. You can be a voice to those you have influence over. What about your workplace? What about the community you live in? What about the people you interact with on a daily basis? Are you living in such a way where you are able to be used of God as a voice to declare his message? That was one of his purposes in ministry was to be a voice. The second one was to be a forerunner of Jesus Christ. You know, more than just being a prophet, declaring the message of God, John was the forerunner for the Messiah. Studying a forerunner a little bit recently, and in those days before a king would arrive, a forerunner would go before the king would get there and make known his coming. He would tell others that the king is coming, and they would prepare the people. They'd get the party ready. They'd get the food ordered. They'd have everything they needed for the arrival of the king. But he would also oversee 
the establishment of any road or highway for the journey of the king. And he would do whatever was necessary to make sure that the road was as smooth and level as possible for the king to travel on it. It says there that John's ministry was to make his paths straight. Definition of that is smooth or level. You know, Wearsby said, spiritually speaking, the nation of Israel was living in a wilderness of unbelief. The roads to spiritual reality were in disrepair. So in a spiritual sense, John was calling the people of Israel to prepare their hearts because the Messiah was coming. He was there preaching this message of repentance to get their hearts ready to, to hear what the Messiah said and to have their hearts ready to accept him as the Messiah, to follow him. And his ministry was to preach in such a way where people would understand who they were, sinners in need of God. And as, as he was preparing the way for these people, there were rocks that would need to be pulled up in the path for the road to be smooth. There were roots that needed to be pulled up so the seeds that were going to be cast out could take root. And he was to be the forerunner of the Messiah to make a smoother road to true salvation for the people. You know, when sin is revealed in your life or mine, we need to repent. You know, if you desire the power of God in your life, if you desire him to speak to you, if you want him to use you, if you want to be helped by his word as we're looking at it today and receive what it is in church you need to receive, you need to make sure that you come to God with a ready heart. And maybe that does mean repentance of sin. As we spoke about Wednesday for just a brief moment, it's, it's needed for productive prayer. What does the Bible say? If I regard iniquity in my heart, what? The Lord will not hear me. It's needed to have a right spirit before God. Think of Psalm, in the psalm after David had a sin with Bathsheba, he came to God and what did he say? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, and cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. We want to have a right relationship with God. We need to make sure that our heart is clean before him. It's needed for, for a heart ready to hear. In James chapter 1, verse 21, he says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Then what does that passage later tell us? But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. Then it speaks of looking into the word of God as a glass. And as we look into it, we observe the things that need to be changed and we make changes necessary. And as we come to church, as we come this morning, we need to make sure that we are in a place where we get rid of that sin in our life or those distractions in our life so we can receive the words that it is that God has for us to receive. Are we ready this morning for that? Is there a distraction that is keeping you from receiving what you need to receive today? Is there sin that is rooted in your heart and life keeping you from being the Christian that God would have you to be? And before any of that, is, is, is there possibly someone in here this morning that has never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? You're not a child of God. You know, John was calling people to repent, but he was also bringing the message of salvation. He says, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Basically, that all flesh may behold the saving. You know, John was there preaching this message, and he was saying, get ready, the king is coming. 
You know, the children of Israel for hundreds of years had been waiting on the Messiah that was going to set them free from Rome. But what they didn't understand is that the deliverance the Messiah was bringing them was not from the government, but from their sin. That was his message. We see the work of the ministry of John. Secondly, we see his preaching. We've seen what he preached about, but there's a description of his preaching here. He called for real repentance of the people of Israel there in verse 7. You know, I would imagine that John the Baptist was one to draw a crowd. Didn't look like the rest of the guys. Dressed a little different, had that big long beard as, as we've read about, looked a little scruffy. Sure, he's pretty animated and you know, probably very entertaining to see or to spend time with. People were interested to hear this prophet. And as time would continue to go and he was baptizing people there in the Jordan River and, and preaching this message, many different types of people no doubt came out to hear him. Some people because they wanted help. Some people just because they were interested in what was going on. Some people because they might have wanted to find a reason to stop him. We have tax collectors that were there. We have soldiers. We have uh, other Romans, members of the Sanhedrin, rich people, poor people, men, women. Many different people came to hear the message of John the Baptist. And, and as they come out, they're thinking, you know, John's pretty interesting. And as he's preaching this message of repentance, they, they're thinking, you know, I've done pretty good in my life. I've, I've lived a certain way where, you know, I, you know, but I think I might just get baptized here just in case. You know, people are there to be baptized and to hear the message he's, he's delivered. And as they all arrived to hear John the Baptist preach the message that he often preached, we look here in verse 7, and, and John came out and he says, Thank you for being here today. Thank you for coming and spending time with us. And we just want to be encouraged and love each other. And just all people are welcome to be as you are. Is that what he preached? He says, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. It's a pretty bold message, isn't it? As he references generation of vipers, he's referencing the corruption of the priesthood, the religious leaders of the land. And he pointed out that these men, many of the people that were there, were deceitful, dangerous, and wicked. They were deceitful in the fact that they were hypocrites. They were dangerous in the fact they were blind leaders leading other blind people. And they were wicked in that their hearts were full of murder. You know, I'm thankful that John didn't just go through the motions and preach something to encourage them or to make them feel good. He preached what God had him to preach. You know, John, in his life, there was no time for playing games. John had a duty to preach the truth of the word of God. And I'm going to tell you this morning, we have a duty as well. The Bible says all men are sinners. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Uh, Romans 3.23, a few verses later, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every person to ever walk the face of this earth beside Jesus Christ is a sinner. And the Bible tells us because of that sin, we cannot attain heaven on our own. We cannot attain righteousness on our own. We cannot get to heaven without Jesus Christ. The Bible says our, our, we are all sinners. And then in chapter 6, verse 23 of Romans it says, for the wages of sin is death. Our payment, our penalty for sin is hell. That's a tough message to hear. It's a tough message to deliver at times. But it's truth that is needed to be known. 
You know, no, no matter who the person is, they need to hear the message. But we must be bold as Christians to deliver it as God has given it to us. Before we get any further, it needs to be understood that repentance is not a human work that earns salvation. Repentance is not something that that is done so a person can be saved. It is not a pre-salvation effort by sinners to set their lives right and have God reward that by saving them. As we approach God in repentance, we recognize our condition, acknowledge we are unable to save ourselves, and we turn to Jesus Christ as the only one that can save us. That is true salvation. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith. Then what? In that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. There's nothing we can do on our own, including repentance, to have heaven. Only what he's done for us by his grace. Now, this message that John was preaching was a bold one. But it's also a practical one. Verse 8, he says, Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. You know, the second part of the sermon he was preaching was not just you need to repent, but he also says there needs to be fruit of repentance. If you're truly repenting, changes are going to be made in your life. You know, Jesus on this thought in Matthew 7, we're not going to go there for time's sake, but he said in Matthew 7, verse 17, Even so, every, tr- every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, whereby by their fruits ye shall know them. John was preaching a similar message here. And the first thing he told them there in verse 8 is, our works are to be worthy of repentance. You know, when true repentance occurs in the life of an individual, there's going to be evidence that shows repentance. We think of our definition of repentance that we have, it means to turn from something to something else, or simply some people say just to turn around, but to see, what you, see where you are here, turn and go the other direction. Repent of what it is and to go do what it is that's right. A change of mind. He speaks of those things that are worthy of repentance, those things that have the weight of repentance. John was preaching, don't just come and do this religious act. Have a changed life. Genuine repentance must always lead to observable fruit. Genuine genuine repentance will always bring a fruit that is obvious. When true repentance happens in a person's life, there should be change in that person's life. If we repent of a sin, we are no longer should be doing that sin if we've truly repented of it. You know, when someone is truly saved, it'll bring a change of heart. You know, he says, first of all, our works are to be worthy. Second thing he says there in the end of verse 8, pedigree is not enough. Who does he reference there? He references Abraham, our father. You know, many Jews thought just because they were a descendant of Abraham meant they were okay. Just because they were a descendant of Abraham means that salvation was provided for them. And, and he's preaching this message saying there needs to be fruit worthy of your repentance. And then he's saying... Don't trust in your heritage. He then goes on to say God could turn stones into Jews if he wanted to. 
You know, in many churches today, there are people going through the motions, aren't there? I want to encourage you this morning, don't just do something because you feel someone wants you to do it. Do it because God wants you to do it, and it's necessary for you to be in good standing with him. Don't trust in the kind of tree you are. He's telling them here, it doesn't matter if the tree is Jewish or Gentile. What matters is repentance and its fruit. You know, family relation doesn't save, only Jesus saves. You know, the Bible says in John chapter 1, but as many as received him to them, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that what? Believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, there are many people in this world that fall under the conviction of a message of salvation or that someone we may interact with in, in a uh, meeting of witnessing or someone that will respond to our question. You know, if something was to happen to you at this moment, if something happened, happened to you today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? And what kind of answers do we often get? Oh, I'm Catholic. I'm Lutheran or I'm Presbyterian. Oh, you know, I've gone to so-and-so church my whole life. Gone there for years. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. None of those things get a person to heaven. Religion doesn't get a person to heaven. There needs to be a point in the life of an individual where they put their faith and trust, not in a church, not in a tradition, not in a man, a leader, a list of good deeds, but in Jesus Christ. He says there needs to be works worthy of repentance. And he says pedigree is not enough. And then he tells them, God knows the root of your faith. There in verse 9, he's referring to a farmer who goes in and cuts down the useless trees. And he's also referring possibly to the, the one who separates the wheat from the shaft. And John was preaching these things so they could get to the root of things. He's basically telling them God will remove false faith. He wanted them to go to the root of their repentance. Religion is man's effort to connect with God apart from Jesus. And as good and noble of an effort as it is, it's never going to be enough. You know, so many of these Jews took pride in their traditions and in their teachers, but they refused to accept Jesus, didn't they? We understand the word of God tells us every man, including Abraham, must come to God by faith. Romans chapter 4 verse 3 says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So that was his message. We go on here in verse 10. It says, and the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? He preached this message. He told them to repent. He told them, not only do you need to repent, but if it's true repentance, there needs to be fruit of that repentance. There needs to be a change. You need to understand you are not enough. Then they go, okay, so what do we do? <laughs> what difference does it make? So he tells them. Verse 11. He answered and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. He that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then the publicans asked him in verse three, 13, they said, What shall we do? And in verse 13, he says, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. 14. The soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man. Neither accuse any falsely and be content with your wages. 
So when it comes to biblical repentance, what difference does it make? First thing we see is the greedy become givers. You know, when a person is truly repented, they have, they'll have a giving heart. You know, 1 Timothy in chapter 6, he says, Charge them that are rich in this world, they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. And he goes on to say that they do good, may be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up and store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. We understand this morning we don't give money to go to heaven, but when someone truly believes in God, their life will be different from that aspect because they have a desire to give and to help others, whether it's monetary or, or physically, attention, time. The greedy become givers. The second thing we saw there in verse 12 and 13, the liars become honest. Look at these publicans. They were the cheats. They're the people that would just make up a number, something that would sound good to them, and they could take whatever was left over, and they took so much for themselves, they were dishonest. And what he's telling them, if you've truly repented, there needs to be a godly character and, and, and ethics coming from your life. So if we've truly repented, how is our testimony with others in the world that we live in today? Do we have a giving heart? And second thing, do we live good character? Do we conduct ourselves with good ethics? Verse 14, he says, the violent become peaceful. You know, these soldiers had gained money by extortion. They'd walk into a room, they'd walk up to a group of people and say, you're, you're breaking these laws or you've done this. Then no matter if the person did it or not, if the soldier said it, that was enough for them to be convicted. They'd falsely accuse people or they'd threaten people that something is going to happen to them in order to gain money. And, and he says, if you truly repented, you're not going to do that anymore. Then he ends the verse there saying, and be content with your wages, the, the covetous become content. You know, these acts were not ways of salvation. They were evidence of true repentance and turning of sin. Be content because you have a gratitude for God, as it says there in Hebrews chapter 13. You know what I love about this passage and his application to these people is that he didn't take a position that it was immoral or out of God's will for them to be a tax collector, for them to be a soldier, for them to hold any other job. He didn't take that position, did he? But what he said was, the job that you have, the place in this world that you have, do it God's way. It's possible. To live life not in our own strength, not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. And then allowing that spirit to work through you. That is living the life of one truly repentant. Are we willing to do that today? If we don't know Christ, come to him. There was a movie that came out in 2010 called The Blind Side. I think probably many of you have seen that or heard the story. 
The story of a family who took in a homeless young man and they gave him the chance to reach his potential and his name was Michael Orr. He dodged the hopelessness there in his life at that point and going from foster home to foster home living on the streets as he was at the time he was found and he went from that to being a first round draft pick in the NFL in 2009. And several years back the the Tui family, the, the, the man of the Tui family, Sean Tui, he was speaking to some people in an interview about what had happened in their family's life. And there was a great transformation that happened in Michael's life and in their family's life. And he noted it all started with two words. He said they spotted Michael. They were driving there in a cold November morning. And they see this young man that is there walking around in shorts and a T-shirt. And his wife's sitting there in the passenger seat beside him, and she says, turn around. So they turned the car around, and they put Michael in their vehicle, and ultimately ended up adopting him into their family. But he said it all started with those two words, turn around. You know, those two words can change anyone's life. You know, when we turn around, we change direction, and we begin a new journey. There may be some here that need to just turn around from their disbelief in Jesus. There could be a Christian this morning that needs to turn around and reconsider the value of prayer in your life. There could be a mom or dad this morning that needs to just turn around and make a decision to be more godly parents. There could be a young person here today that's giving in to the temptations of, of, by your peers or of other people in society. You need to turn around from that. Whatever the situation is, a great story of transformation is two words away. Repent. Turn around. And let the fruits of the repentance be evident in your life. Every head bowed, every eye closed.